In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Shannon McCombie is our guest today on Money Tales. When Shannon was in college, one of her older brothers was a Navy jet pilot. Just after 9-11, he was killed and Shannon learned that he didn't get to finish the mission he started. That launched Shannon into government service. She worked internationally for the CIA and Naval Special Warfare Development Group to finish what her brother was unable to complete. From there, Shannon left the corporate world and experienced an impactful financial awakening. Today, Shannon is the head of operations in North America for a British tech company. In addition, she consults for several technology startups, including a molecular diagnostics lab. On the side, Shannon coaches people who are leaving government service or who are looking for a change in their career on how to best transition to a new role. Her goal is to help others avoid the mistakes she felt she made with money when she left government service. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Shannon hits on in this conversation. First, how work doesn't have to be about pay. Initially for Shannon, it was about the service she was doing and the relationships she was building. Second, when work is about pay, it's critical to do research to understand what the compensation is for an equivalent role. And third, the importance of building up your credit. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. And please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, on to our conversation with Shannon McCombie. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cami, and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Hey, Cami, you're just back from that CMO conference, aren't you? I am, Sandy. Austin, Texas. It was very hot. And Austin's such a great town. It got me smiling, Sandy, because the last time the CMOs or chief marketing officers were brought together, we do this one or two times a year. Our friends over at Dimensional Fund Advisors organize it. They bring CMOs in the industry together to share best practices and learn from each other. And it's an amazing forum really priceless for all of us. So we thank Dimensional for doing this. The last time we were together in person was just before the global pandemic. One of the topics was around podcasting and leveraging podcasts to help tell your story, bring your brand to life. And Sandy, I just had to smile because that was what I came back with, really excited, but not knowing how Asperient would leverage the podcasting platform. I remember that because I ran into you in the kitchen of our San Francisco office and I said, Cammy, let's do a podcast. And you just come back from that conference. I'm really thankful for our serendipitous moment to have that conversation and that we were able to pull together money tales. Yes, it's a fun Genesis story. It is. Well, let's introduce our guests. I'd like to welcome Shannon McCombie to Money Tales. 
Cammie and Sandy, it's great to be part of your show today. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Please introduce yourself for our listeners and share a couple pivotal moments in your life that really influenced you. I grew up in a military family, three children, the youngest child with two older brothers, and we moved around a ton every few years. So that created a really strong bond with our family because we really needed to rely on each other for pretty much everything. That upbringing was quite important to me and informed who I am today. Then in college, one of my older brothers was a Navy jet pilot, and just after 9-11, he was killed. And I found that he didn't get to finish the mission he started. So that's what launched me into government service. And I worked in government for about 12 years, trying to complete what my big brother started. And I think successfully, he and I did some good work together. After that period of time, I left government service and I went into the corporate world, working for Fortune 30 companies and tech startups, which is where I am today. Really sorry to hear about your brother. And I'm sure that was very impactful. Thank you for sharing that. Would you share a little bit about what it's like to grow up in a military family beyond the moving around? We love to always know, like, was money being talked about? Just a little sense of how it was growing up. I don't know if money was talked about often, if at all, but I know it was felt a lot because I don't know what it's like today in the military. But at that time, growing up and moving all the time, money was not flush at all. Our holidays, our vacations were moving from one house to the next house and the hotel swimming pool in between the homes. And my brothers would play with rolled up socks and I would play with my mother's nail polish bottles as dolls. Lilac and Bordeaux and Periwinkle would be their names. And my brothers played catch with their socks. And my dad would sometimes make us toys from the wood shop. So we didn't have a lot. Perhaps we didn't have everything we wanted, but we absolutely had everything we needed. The moving around created that connection because we had what we needed in the house. Our mother, she worked part-time, so she was always sure that she would be home for us when we got off the school bus because our dad would be deployed or doing training exercises or working late oftentimes with the military. So it had its difficulties, but it also had its charm and wonder because of the way we grew up, both moving around all the time and not being flush with money, but having what we needed. When did you first become aware of money as a young person? I started getting an allowance probably when I was six years old for doing household chores perhaps $5, $2. I don't even remember. But I remember all of a sudden getting this opportunity to have something that was mine and save it. And at a very, very young age, I started saving. Every other week, I would ask my parents to put my $2 into the bank account. The opposite weeks, I would save for buying My Little Pony or a Barbie doll. It was probably at that age that I started to think about money and the opportunity to save and the opportunity to build something for yourself. And you just intuitively knew to do that because your parents weren't guiding you or talking about it? I'm sure they had to have told me, but it started so young. I don't actually remember the conversation. I'd like to say I'm a smart girl, but (laughs) I can't imagine that I came up with that on my own when I was that young. You said a great thing that you didn't have everything you wanted, but you had everything you needed. That's such an important message with two young girls. I'm thinking I'd like to instill that mindset. How does that translate to you today? Are you similar mindset around the saving? how you splurge on yourself. How do you think about that? Fortunately, my allowance is a bit more than 2 to $5 a week now. <laughs> so I can save a little bit more and splurge a little bit more. But I do have that same mindset. I continue to try to put a little bit away of every one of my paychecks if I can. And if I'm able, I try to make sure that there's time for myself to spend money on a nice trip or a nice experience or a gift for a family member or a friend. 
but I constantly am frugal minded and I'm constantly making sure that I can save up enough so that if there's an emergency, if something unexpected happens, I'm not left in a lurch at all because we all know that those unexpecteds expectedly happen. So Shannon, tell us about what it was like when you were working for the government from a money perspective. It ended up being fantastic, but it started off difficult. I think they withheld our first month's salary so that when we left, we got it in the end. But that first month, I was very young. I didn't have much money. I probably had limited savings trying to pay bills. I was living in the Washington, D.C. area that is not cheap and scraping together everything I could. So at the very, very beginning, it was tight. Cheap food and a roommate (laughs) and (laughs) very limited activities, finding fun, going for walks in the park and movies at home for the first month. And it was only a month's time until the first paycheck came in. And then it was not flush, it was government pay, but it wasn't unreasonable at all. So it was a good time to be a little bit scrappy and look back on some of my childhood on playing with those nail polish bottles or rolled up socks to play catch. But what ended up working out in my favor is I spent a lot of my career in Sub-Saharan Africa and I loved their street food, which might be an odd thing to say. And I don't recommend it when you first get over there because our stomachs aren't so accustomed to the food. But after a bit of time, I would eat my lunches on the street. It cost maybe 75 cents. I'd have this delicious meal. I could get some good juice that was maybe 11 cents in our currency. And so I was able to save a lot of money just by living in sub-Saharan Africa and the cost of goods being a lot cheaper. So it ended up financially working in my favor so that when I came back to the US, when I was about 29 years old, I was able to buy a car in cash and I was able to put down the down payment on my first home, which was all from the finances saved during my government experience, which I would have never guessed or expected. That's really interesting, Shannon. What I know about the government is that there are different pay ranges. So you could be excelling in your career, but you're limited by the system. Is that true? Or is there more to know about how that all works? I think that's it. It's all that I know. I started at a very low level. I was a GS employee. So I started, gosh, I don't remember, maybe it was a GS7. It was something very low and worked my way up. And they have different bands within it. So you can go GS7, GS8, GS9, and then there's steps within there that you can get slight increases. And the benefits and insurance and all are phenomenal with the government, which is great. But yes, in one role that I had, I was running the entire office. I was probably 25 or 26 years old. And I was running the entire region for the organization at a very young age. And my pay was equivalent of someone at a very young age. I didn't join the government for money. So I didn't think twice about it. I had enough to pay my bills, to live the life that I wanted to live, to have the value and quality that I wanted. So it meant nothing to me. The work that I was doing, the service that I was doing, the relationships that I had through friends and colleagues were so extraordinary that that was the value that I received. Tell us, what's a pivotal money decision you've made? Leaving the government service, probably. And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't leave to make more money. That wasn't a thought in my mind. I left to take new opportunities to grow and excel as a professional. I decided to make the move and I did, which led me to negotiating a terrible initial salary. I thought I was making loads of money. And then a month or two into this corporate career, I look around me and hear people talking about their salaries. And I realized that did not work out for me. But in time, I was able to negotiate, take new roles, learn what my value was, and be able to get the appropriate salary for the work that I was doing, which then gave me a significant financial freedom to invest into different real estate and to take nice trips, drink good wine, have great experiences with family and friends. Curiously, the move from government ended up giving me much more financial freedom. Did your perspective about money change as a result of that? 
unfortunately, I started to care about it a little bit more. It was not even in the calculus of my job before because you don't negotiate your salary in the government. You don't really focus on that at all. When you're living overseas, you're not really paying attention to that part of the role. I find in the corporate world, money has much more attention put on it. You want to make sure you have the appropriate salary for you, which is good to do. You want to ensure that you're valued, but you're looking at your value by finance, by salary, instead of your value by the work that you're doing. And it can get a bit shifted there. If you're not getting paid enough, you feel devalued, even if you're getting respected. It can have some negative influences, I think, that I never found in the government space. How have you managed through that? Well, I get really frustrated when I find out I'm not being paid adequately. But then I make change, whatever that is. If it's speak to my manager about it, request a raise, look for a promotion. Sometimes I've even looked for new roles and new companies. If it is impacting me negatively and it's a problem, then I'm going to make a change. But I want to be thoughtful about it for my team and the work that I'm doing at that time. Certainly, I put more attention on it. And I think since leaving government service too, the things that I bring into my day-to-day life cost more money than I would have done before. So all of a sudden you're on those steps that things are costing more and costing more and costing more. Now it's harder to go back to where you were before. It's a psychological game that I wish I wasn't in, but I think it's natural that we all end up in there. It can be for sure. You talked about negotiating a terrible initial salary. If you could go back in time and tell yourself, what would you wish you had done coming into the corporate world differently than you did? I wish I'd have done some research on what someone like me was worth the role that I was going into, what are the standard salaries for that? What is a bonus? And how do you negotiate that? What's the signing bonus and the moving expenses? All these things I just knew nothing about. And so I wish I would have done more research. And I wish I would have reached out to my network to expand on it, to talk to other folks who were in this world and ask what's normal and what to do. And then I was quite good at negotiating and bargaining, having spent time going through different markets and Folks oftentimes would overprice the foreigners because they knew that they could. And I wasn't going to let that happen. So my skills were good. I just didn't know I needed to use them. I wish that I would have used some of my market bargaining skills whenever I was negotiating my salary. And that's such important messaging. Understanding more and talking with people to get some of that knowledge. I think those are great tips. At the end of the day, I think that we all hopefully are in it together and supporting of each other and people want to help. A simple call conversation, even if it was a stranger or some introduction by a mutual contact, my expectation now looking back is someone would be so grateful to help a new person into the corporate world coming from government service. And I should have used my network a little bit more then. Will you tell us a little bit more about using your network in a money way? When did you start getting comfortable talking about money with other people in a professional setting? Not immediately, because I used my network phenomenally to find my entree into the corporate world. But money, as your podcast is all about, is really uncomfortable to talk about. I didn't feel like I could bring it up. I didn't feel like I could ask other people what they recommended or even what their salary was. So it took a little bit of time. It took a little knowledge of learning what other people make and what is the norm. I don't know that there was one pivotal moment that it shifted. But in due time, I just realized that it's important and it's not a naughty word and it's something that we should talk about and it's necessary. It pays our day-to-day life. It shows value in ways. There's other things that do also. And so it's sort of seeped into my life over the years. Do you find that you're having a lot of money conversations today? I do. Not as much with my friends. Curiously, I started a LLC, a little side hustle to help people 
like I was. So folks that were leaving government and not knowing what to do or how to do it, I've started an LLC to help them in their transition. And then that's expanded on to other folks and other careers and other industries across the globe. I did that because I didn't know what I was doing and I want to help others too. So that's a very important thing I talk about in a lot of the coaching that I do because I don't want folks to make the same mistakes that I did with money. Would you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing today? I have multiple jobs, but my main job is with this awesome British tech company. But on the side, I have my own business where I have one-on-one clients. It's all referrals, word of mouth right now. And folks who are looking for a change in their career, whether they are looking for a new job to get out of it, they want support and how to promote up into a new role. They need to get a pay raise and they need help negotiating what that pay raise is, whatever folks need from writing a resume to interviewing techniques to how to network just being an extra support for individuals in their career. I say it a lot on Money Tales and in my life. I really love coaching and the idea that we don't have to do it all ourselves. Whatever your goals are, health, fitness, life, business, having someone, an advocate, an ally who can push and even sees things from a bigger perspective. Sometimes it's hard for us. We're sort of rooted. So Tell us a little bit more about how you talk with your clients about them going in and negotiating their salaries. A lot of them don't know their worth, especially coming from the government. They think X amount is a phenomenal salary and they'd be thrilled with it. And it is if you're coming from the government, but it's not what others with their skill level in other industries would be making. So firstly, expressing what their value is. How do their skills translate into the corporate world, into the startup space, and what they should expect out of it? And so we have those real conversations and then discuss some negotiation tactics of how to be offered what they should have and having the confidence to say no and walking away. When's the right time to start looking so that you're not running to a new job, but you're going because you want to and it's the right thing and having the right frame of mind to have those conversations. An interesting thing I just thought about is as it comes to the discomfort of money conversations, when I first started this side business, I didn't charge people for years because I was so uncomfortable charging people money (laughs) for my coaching and my support. Couldn't understand how someone would want to pay me for my help in an individual basis. And it took me quite a while. And then I started and I gave 85% discounts because I just couldn't rationalize (laughs) taking more than that. And so it was quite a journey for me to understand my value even within my side business to help others in their careers. Despite me coaching them on their salary, I needed to coach myself. (laughs) Shannon, this is a phenomenon that we hear a lot from entrepreneurs, especially female entrepreneurs. Could you tell us how you got over that hump? A lot of great people in my life constantly pressuring me to understand my value and recognizing that people put worth on money. And if I'm giving something away for free, even if it's the same thing, they might put more value on it if I'm charging something for it, which was such a curious phenomenon that I didn't understand. And sure enough, they were right. Could you share a little bit more about how did you know that they valued it more? I don't know that I knew it definitively, but I do know that more people were coming my way and wanting to work with me, which is odd. I would think they'd want to work with me if I was free. (laughs) I'm curious, did they work harder? Whenever you have value, you have credibility, you demonstrate this confidence about yourself, people are going to gravitate towards you and they're going to see that in you. Even if you're faking it at times, they're going to believe that that's the reality, that you are all of that. And then it grows over time. You become stronger. You're able to do better work. You're able to have stronger relationships. But some of it is a little bit fake in the beginning and then it all builds out. Or it's not fake. It's just believing the reality about us that sometimes when it comes to money and value we don't see. I think you're right. I don't think it's fake. 
but I think it's getting comfortable. And so you might feel that you're acting to some degree, but it's really just getting comfortable to be the person you are. What I'm most curious about, why is money such a difficult topic? Because it is, but I don't know why. I don't know that there's a single answer. In our experience, it's a difficult conversation because society does not embrace the conversation. It might be changing with current generations, but we've been taught not to talk about money. Also, because money does symbolize for many people their value, there's a confusion for some folks between their self-worth and their net worth. It can be hard to open up that conversation to talk about money because people can feel devalued in the conversation. That makes sense. So self-worth versus net worth, I hadn't thought of. Spot on. Kami, what else do you think just from having all these money tales conversations? So much is about how their parents or the previous generations thought about money and how if money was talked about, that could be very rude, that could be flaunting. Then I think it's more of a question of how you talk about money. Having conversations about the values and the meaning and what's the purpose And through that then comes great confidence. But I think we've tied it from this upbringing of, oh, you don't talk about it. That just became the umbrella explanation versus you don't have to talk about what your next big purchase is, but it is really understanding the value of it. Why is it there? What's it purpose for you? And I think also for many people, there is great emotion around money, whether it's positive or negative or somewhere in between. And that can make it challenging to open up. But I love what you're saying, Shannon, about having mentors and people that are prodding you and supporting you along. And it sounds like you've really gone through an evolution in terms of how you're bringing in money and the amount that you're bringing in. I want to return to the concept that you mentioned earlier about when you were a child growing up in your young adulthood, focusing on the difference between needs and wants. Tell us how your needs and wants may have shifted especially as you've transitioned out of government and into the private sector? My needs are probably the same. I need to pay the utility bills. I need to pay the mortgage. I need to pay the fuel prices that are increasingly more and more expensive. The needs are the same, but the wants perhaps could get more extravagant with time. I just moved into a new home a few months back and it's assuredly the most expensive home that I've ever lived in. That is something I would have never considered doing on a government salary before. I will buy an expensive bottle of wine on a special occasion that's absolutely delicious and share it with friends and family, which I wouldn't have done before. I'd buy nice, but I wouldn't do anything extraordinary. I'll stay in a nicer hotel than I would have before. I splurge more now than I ever did in the past. And I am more keen and more willing to splurge on my friends and family as well now than I would have in the past. Because in the past, I didn't have the extra funds in which to do it comfortably. How has that evolution on the spending side felt to you? It was very gradual. So I don't think I have noticed it tremendously until this new home. And that was not gradual. And so now I feel it. And it's the first time I've had a budget in perhaps my whole life. (laughs) Because I want to make sure that I can maintain the savings that I do and the lifestyle that I have. Be frugal, not be too frivolous. Tell us more about your budgeting process. Sure. I don't know what the right approach is. This is the first time, but, (laughs) but I figured I should give it a try to ensure that I live within my means. I wouldn't have moved into the home if I couldn't, but I'm still frugal and a saver at my core. So I have a simple Excel spreadsheet. I think Microsoft Excel had a template that I'm working off of and it has 
fuel and water and electricity and groceries and all these different categories that are down the sheet. I keep my receipts. I put it every time I make an expense. And at the end of the month, it tallies up against my salary that I make or any other income that comes in that month. And I see if I'm on the mark or not. So far, I've been good. (laughs) Do you find it helpful? I do. I'm hoping that I won't have to continue because it is quite tedious And after a couple more months of maintaining within my means, I may stop, but it certainly was good to give me the confidence that I am living within my means. I think it's incredibly important to have an emergency fund. So if something happens that's there to be able to pay off my credit card bill every month and not have debt, this budget spreadsheet ensures that I'm still able to do that and put a little bit of savings away. So it's been a fantastic exercise. It's been really helpful. I encourage it to anyone who may be uncertain about their new salary and how that affects their life. But I also look forward to when I have the confidence to not do it anymore. Have there been any insights that you've gained from the budgeting process beyond knowing whether you're on the mark or not? I bought so many gifts for friends. I had no idea how much I spent on friends sending flowers because they chipped their nail and (laughs) a bonnet (laughs) to their new baby or whatever it might be. I love my friends and family and I want to be generous towards them. I just didn't realize the extent that I was. So to their dismay, I've cut that back a little bit since I moved into the new home. But I hope that I'm sharing it with phone calls and letters and postcards now. (laughs) That's a really good lesson though, to remind us all that sometimes it really is the thought and the action and not always the actual gift itself. Absolutely. Then there's so much more import, I think, to our words and to our time together and our experiences together than to a material gift. You've shared a lot of pieces of money wisdom. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with listeners? Something that was really helpful in me getting started in a financially sound way was my parents and how they set us off into the world. They wanted to make sure that they could set us off without debt. They bought our first car for us. Now in that first car, my parents would transfer me money every month that I would then pay so that I could build up my credit, which I thought was phenomenal. So they paid for it all, but I was building my credit, which was great. We all got scholarships for college to some degree. I think I probably got the least number of scholarships, but our parents paid the remainder of our college. So we'd left college without any college debt, which was huge. And then encouraging us to save really young. I remember at a very young age, my dad harping on, the more money you save in your 20s will have an exponential increase than the same amount that you might save in your late 30s or 40s. And he was absolutely right. So I think how... My parents kicked us out the door and got us started in life, really created a financially sound foundation to grow off of. And then I just maintained that moving forward. Have you had conversations with your parents as an adult about the importance of all those lessons and actions that they took? Yes, I've thanked them a ton over and over again. I'm really grateful for their support. A neat part too of our upbringing because it was a little bit tighter financially. Then when my father retired from the military, he became a financial advisor, interestingly enough, and got into investing. And now they are quite fine financially. So we were raised with humility and frugality and understanding the value of a dollar and hard work and discipline. But now that we're out of the house, we're grown adults, we can go home and go out for really nice dinners, take a great vacation together. They don't have to worry about the money now but they're not raising us. So we're not going to be spoiled brats because we were raised with loads and loads of money without discipline. And so it ended up being the perfect balance in our upbringing, I think. It's a really beautiful cycle. 
Shannon, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? It's with my boyfriend. I know this is your ending question all the time. So I shared that with him and he said, oh, that's with me. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I think you're right. I'm glad you said that because we both have great grasp of money. We save well, our retirements will be good. There's no question about our money situation. The question is how we like to spend our money for fun. We're not super aligned there. The conversation is finding that middle ground of balance between how we spend our extra money. So it sounds like you're having comfortable money conversations already in your relationship, which is great to hear. We are. And some of it's thanks to both of you because I shared that question with him, which prompted some wonderful conversations. So thank you. Oh, thank you for sharing that with us. That's the idea. Shannon, we really appreciate you joining us on Money Tales, sharing your background, a lot of wonderful wisdom through your stories. Wish you continued success. Thank you very much. Thank you both for having me on here. It's been a pleasure today. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcast at asperient.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.